The following is brought to you by Total Seal Piston Rings, the leader in ring seal technology. TotalSeal.com A look inside EFI University. Hello and welcome to a special live edition of Hidden Horsepower presented by Total Seal. My name is Joe Costello from WFO Radio and we're going to go back out to EFI University and uh, joining us are co-hosts, our hosts, Lake Speed Jr. and Ben Strader. Gentlemen, welcome. I'm excited. We've seen where you are. We're seeing what you're doing, but we have not yet even begun to exchange the knowledge, which is why I'm sure everybody is signing on on Facebook and on YouTube and, of course, in our Hidden Horsepower group. How are you guys doing today? Well, I'm doing great, Joe. Uh, we're out here in Arizona having great weather. You're over there probably enjoying some good weather, too. Florida. Florida. Humid. Yeah. Not yeah. humid here, I tell you. It's not humid not at all. Humid here. Uh, but we're doing great. It's good to see you again. It's great to see you guys. And uh, this is such a great opportunity for me because I get to just learn and soak up knowledge. But what we're doing here today is kind of an interesting hybrid because you're going to show some of the tools and some of the techniques and go a little bit behind the scenes. We're going to talk about some of the programs you've got going. This is just part of an evolution of the knowledge that we've been getting on the Hidden Horsepower podcast lately. Oh, yeah, exactly, Joe. We've had those comments. Man, this is really cool. We would like to be able to see these things we're talking about. Well, you know, that little intro video kind of gave you a little bit of a glimpse of what it's like here at EFI University. And it does kind of look like an engine shop, but don't be fooled. This is not an engine shop. This is an R&D facility. So all these really cool tools really aren't here to build engines necessarily. I mean, they do build engines. They help us build engines. Right. But those engines aren't being built just for where casual use to be sold a lot of times. It's really about uh, R&D, bringing that knowledge level up. And so it's one thing to talk about a profilometer. It's one thing to talk about bore finish, but it's another, another just, thing to do it all the time, you know, and, and actually it, get to show somebody. Put yeah, your hands see on it. it. Yeah. 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 Put it into in, in real context. You can really see it. And I thought this would be a great time to do it. I happened to be out here uh, in Arizona this week anyway, so Ben was nice enough to let us come bum rush his place and take over. And Why not? I got nothing to do. I've <laughs> uh, got nothing to do. We've already got some people checking in out there on Facebook. Ron is out there from Gilbert and uh, a couple oh. of people. I didn't realize Total Seal had a YouTube channel. Just subscribe. So we've got some people cool. out there. The majority of people, though, that see this will see it after the fact, and we encourage you to share it. And uh, if you think what you've learned here today is going to be uh, you know, helpful to you, by all means, share it and tell your friends all about it. And this audio will also go on the Hidden Horsepower podcast, Lake. So we got the audio-only people covered as well. This awesome. Is, this is pretty cool. Is this the first time you guys have done a live one? This is the second live one we did. Okay. The first live one was me, Matt, and Keith at Christmas. Gotcha. Okay. Matt dubbed that one the worst episode ever. <laughs> Nitty, no. <laughs> well, listen, it was uh, it was a Christmas party. To be fair, it was a Christmas party, and we were just kind of getting together for fun. And Matt is absolutely incorrect. That was a great episode. It was a lot of fun. We talked about a lot of stuff. Like, for instance, guys. I'm not wrong very often, but maybe this time. We've got some celebrities out there already, like George Bryce, for instance, has elected to take a little time. And <laughs> Hidden Horsepower Live. Speaking of knowledgeable engine builders who do a little sharing of their information, I think it is great. George, how are you? And Jay is out there. All right, gentlemen, obviously you're the host of the show. Uh, I'm going to kick it off to you. I'm going to bounce myself out of here. I'll come in and out based on the questions from the audience. If you're out there in the audience, you got a question about what our hosts are talking about. 
put it in the comments section, and we're just going to learn from you guys. We got some added elements, some photos, some videos. Throw the videos, and if you're listening on audio only, you'll be able to see this on the Facebook page for Total Seal, the YouTube channel for Total Seal, and of course in our Hidden Horsepower Facebook group as we build this community of Hidden Horsepower on social media. So, gentlemen, take it away. I'm eager to learn. It's time for Hidden Horsepower. All right, well, perfect, Joe. So the what's behind us is exactly what we want to talk about. Sure. You can't find more hidden horsepower, probably in the engine, right? And I am an oil guy, I'm a marine guy, and I hate to admit it, but that <laughs> thing behind us, Billy Godbold, you're right. There's more power to be found probably back here than there probably is anywhere else. So Ben, tell them what's behind us. And well, I think uh, I think it's one of those. This is called a spin trunk, right? So. Yeah. Uh, and what it is, is it's like an engine dyno, for those of you that aren't familiar, except it's kind of the opposite. Normally, you put your engine on the dyno, and it spins the machine. Yep. In it this case, power. what we have is a 75-horsepower electric motor, mm -hmm. and it spins the engine assembly, except um, we don't have a real crankshaft and no pistons or connecting rods. It's just a shaft, and then we connect the timing gear, timing chain belt, whatever you got. It's the valve train. And run the valve train. So. Uh, whether or not you guys can see it, there's actually a hole yeah. over there in the side of this engine. And the reason we can do that is because there's no piston going up and down in there. But what we do is then we can put a laser in there and we can actually watch the valve motion. And the thing about this is, you know, guys like Billy and the rest of us uh, say there's more power to be found in there. It's, it's not even so much that it's like a secret or speed secrets or whatever. It's just that the engine is so dynamic that it's always changing. It's always throwing surprises at you. And I like to say, you know, if you've set up one valve train combination, well, then, you know, you've set up one valve, valve train combination. That's it. There, any little thing in there that you make a change to affects the rest of the system. And so we use this machine to tell us about a specific package, right? So help us choose the right spring, the right push rod, the right valve mass. Uh, and then, you know, Billy gets in there with us and we go, well, you know, if we made the cam load more aggressive here, it's smoother there, or more or less left, you know. He, he helps us by, you know, making new shapes and profiles. We send our cams off to be reground and try it, and we're back here working again. So this machine is kind of the, uh, what, what would you say? If you could get inside the engine and, like, and, and look around in there while it's running, this is the closest we can get to that. We got a, a laser telling us what the valves are doing while yeah, it's, it's really cool. basically running. Yeah. Well, and obviously, Joe, you, you know me. I'm, I'm always thinking a couple of steps ahead, at least trying to. So an upcoming episode of Hidden Horsepower features Larry Wallace. Oh, nice. And Larry's telling the story in that episode about the first Spintron they had, which is before Spintrons existed. Before that was a thing even, huh? And they didn't even have the laser. Now, I just, I, 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 I just, they're just going to run it. And I won't give away what he, what he said because I don't want to spoil it. Sure. But there's a little bit of a teaser here, so that's why I wanted to kind of kick off this episode with showing the Spintron. So, hey, Joe, why don't you uh, tee up that video of the Spintron running? Because it's, oh, cool. it's one thing for us to sit here and talk about it a little bit, but we got a video from the Engine Performance Expo yeah. where Ben was running it. So get a little, little glimpse, a little snapshot. If you want more of that, then on the Engine Performance Expo YouTube channel, it's not out yet. It's coming up in the future. There'll be the full-length video that someone can watch and see you explain the whole from Susan and us from yes. beginning to end. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, Joe, you got a video? Let's check it out. All right, guys, so we're back out here now on the control side of the Spintron and I've got a couple monitors, and you can see the engine there in the background. You'll probably even be able to hear it pretty well. On the left side, what I have is my control side. This is the side where I type in stuff, 
to tell the electric motor what I'm trying to simulate, what uh, you know, what engine speed I want to see at what time. And we typically will do this kind of like a dyno pull where we'll start up and kind of start out slow and then we'll ramp up. And that's what I'm going to do for you today. And I think we're just about ready to go. So uh, click go. And uh, yeah, everything looks good. So up here you can see at my valve trace and my RPM's about a thousand. It's scrolling across in the time over here. And at about another oh five or six seconds here, it's gonna start to accelerate and I'll be watching. Alright, here we go. So there you it's, go. It's pretty cool. You know, I think what most people are surprised at the first time they ever see a Spintron running is it sounds like it's running. Yeah. I mean, the, the vast majority of the noise that the engine makes is just the clattering of valves opening and closing and springs clashing and surging. And, you know, you don't realize that noise. The level of noise is incredible. When you're standing in here in the room and you got something turning 7, 8, 10,000 RPM, you almost like take a few steps back because it's like, wow, it sounds like it's running. In fact, We'll see. We'll put a video up sometimes, and some guy will say, "Well, how much power did it make?" And I'm like, uh, "I know. I, I, don't make know. I was remembering the spinal tap video when you, yeah. you turned 11 on the spinal tap. Yeah, people thought it was running the engine. They were literally, how much power did it make? And then you have guys going, "Oh, that's hocus pocus. It couldn't have made any power. It doesn't have an intake manifold." I'm like, "Not only does it have a manifold, <laughs> it doesn't have any exhaust, no pistons, nothing. It's it's incredible the noise that thing makes when it's running and the heat." Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it makes heat. I mean, you can get 200 degrees oil temperature absolutely. just from the springs. Yeah, we will. We'll make a couple runs, and you'll go in there, and just like a running engine, you got to check that valve lash because it's been changing from parts getting hot and expanding. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you're not careful, you can go too far and get the oil hot, and then you got to sort of cool down. And uh, it's it's very much like a running engine. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So now, talk about the grass right. back here. Talk, talk about that, guys, because you just showed us a, a, a valve train that I assume is perfect or near perfect. And we see that wonderful little uh, parabola in the beginning, right? Like a bell curve. And we see the arc. What would it look like if it was not right? Well, so typically what we'll see, I don't know how well you guys can see our screen that's up here today. But Very so well. what, I tell you what, you, you explain. I'm going to give an operator the camera, right? right? We can, we can, good, man. I'm telling you, it's perfect right where it is. Leave it. You can see it? Okay. Leave it, okay. All right. All right. So what I got here, Joe, is you can see up at the top, I got the ramp. And uh, that's like my, my dyno pull. That's just showing you what the RPM was during the run. And then down here, I've got two different lines. I have the purple one, which was basically the first trace that the valve made when it was at low RPM, right? So you don't typically run into a lot of problems at lower RPM. So I went ahead and plotted that purple one. Now, as the thing plays back for me, you can see it gets all the way to about 10,000, almost 800, 10,770 RPM there. At various points throughout the range, you see the harmonics of the valve train start to move around and the energy being transferred between the spring doing its thing and all of the other components, push rods, push rods, rocker arms, you know, the bolts holding everything together. What a lot of people fail to realize is all of those parts are also a spring. When you bend or move that rocker arm, it comes right back at some other point in the cycle at a, at a different time. So what we'll do is we'll plot the yellow line here on top of it. And you can see, like, if I just freeze it right now, I'll go ahead and do that. And if I just go, like, even right here, now all of a sudden you can see that that thing actually has more lift of the valve than it's even supposed to. So that means it's actually going 
off of the nose of that camshaft and getting flung over. We call that lofting the valve like you loft a football, you know. Um, and that it, that can be okay as long as when we loft and we come back down, we land smoothly on the ramp. Think of like Evil Knievel on his, on his old, you know, Harley dirt bike. When you jump and you land on the other side of the jump on the ramp, most of the time everything's okay. Where it gets really ugly, Joe, is if you miss the ramp and you land over here on the flat spot and you know what Evil Knievel look like. Right, exactly. And so what will happen is we'll come over here and it'll start to bounce that valve open. Well, when that happens, it's it's obviously really hard on the valve crane itself. You'll see broken retainers and locks and, you know, springs get broken. But also before you get to that point, you'll see a severe downturn in the engine's power. We'll often see, you know, the things going up and going up and going up. And within like 150 RPMs, it'll dump 200 horsepower out of the engine just over the nose. And the reason is is that if that valve's hung open there, this is our intake stroke. We're sucking all this air in. Then all of a sudden you want to close the valve and start compressing it with my piston. Well, if the valve comes back open, I'm not doing any of that usable work. Right. And so in a severe case, you'll get a really big bounce here or even multiple bounces. And it pretty much destroys the, the you know, the power work that you're able to produce in the engine because you can't do the compression phase. Well, without t jumping too far ahead, last night we were having a little meeting with some with some folks we'll talk about later. Actually, George Bryce was in there. Yeah, exactly. We were actually, you know, doing the math on, yeah. there's only 180 degrees of crankshaft rotation on the compression stroke. Sure, bottom dead center to top dead center. And if you bounce it, and the one example was it was bouncing 50 degrees. Sure, yeah. When you think about, you know, your advanced timing, you're going to ignite the 30 degrees uh, before TDC. Yeah. If I bounce 50 and I'm advanced 30, there's 80 of them. Right. But now don't forget, we're not actually closing the valve at bottom dead center. No, in fact, typically not. <laughs> a lot of times the valve is still open until 40, 50, 60, even 70 degrees after bottom dead center. You know, so you think about that and you go, okay, well, if I got 180 degrees total from the bottom to the top, chop 30 off the top. Well, let's take 30 off because I'm going to light my spark plug 30. So now I'm down to 150. Mm -hmm. Then I'm going to close my intake valve 70 degrees late after bottom dead center. So out of my 150, now I'm only down to 80 of them left. Uh -huh. Well, if you make the valve bounce for 50 of them, that's your 200 horsepower. You only got, yeah. <laughs> now out of the entire 180 degrees, I've only had the valve closed and sealed up for about 30 of them. And that's just, that ain't no good. Joe, that's why all those pro stock guys you've known for years always have a spintron, and they all they, they would never say boo, never say, spin a word about what they learned in the spintron because they knew it was so important. It's just as important to know what not to do as it is to know what to do. Top yeah. secret information in motorsports, great stuff. And that's why it's so cool that you guys are sharing this because we hear and we've heard about them, but now seeing it work and understanding why it works and cleaning up your valve train, there's a lot of power there, but that's not the only place where you can find some power. So what else are we going to get into here today? Well, we're here at EFI University, right? Sure. So we should probably talk a little bit about EFI systems. Well, you know, it's one of those things that the greatest air pump in the world won't do anything for you if you don't have the tune-up right. And so we spend a lot of the time here working on tune-ups. You know, got engines on the dyno, we got cars on the chassis or the hub dynos, and mm -hmm. we're trying to uh, perfect that that calibration of the engine, the giving it what it wants for spark and fuel and that kind of stuff. And we have a lot of different ways that we can mm -hmm. do that and process that information. But it's really the EFI control and technology of the engine that's allowed us to in my opinion that's allowed us to progress the engine side as far as development of 
engine building techniques and cylinder heads and manifolds and all that kind of stuff because we can very quickly control that, uh, that outcome. So for example, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is in the old days, if you made a big change to the engine, it had way more airflow, you'd put it on the dyno and run it, but then you would also have to retune the carburetor, take it all apart, yes, change yeah. things, jets, air bleeds, all that stuff. Now we just go into the computer and say, hey, don't let the tune up change, you know, chase the airflow and we can get more, more uh, focused results in a shorter period of time, you know? So yeah. that allows you to throw a head or a manifold on there, run the thing and instantly go, eh, that's not as good and know that I've taken the tune-up variable out of it. So before it was, it's not as good, but is that because my carburetor needs to, you know, work or whatever? And you'd have to go chase all that stuff. I think EFI has made engine development a lot easier. Well, there's another thing too about EFI that I really think is, is an overlooked aspect of what it brings to the table, and that's durability. Sure. Uh, you think back to last December, uh, myself and Keith Jones and Ed Keebler uh, from Rottler came out and we were doing some videos here for the Engine Performance Expo. And one of the videos we did with Keith was talking about the safe tune-up yeah. for breaking in an engine. Because that's always an interesting topic is how to break in an engine and things like that. And one of the things that we see, or really Keith is the one who sees it the most, but I've even come across it, is that the idea that the safe tune-up is a rich you know yeah. lean is mean you know and yeah. all that but tell them a little bit about what we see with the what can happen if the tune-up is too rich well you know there's there's two guys in the industry that hate rich tune-ups oil guys and ring guys that's why i hate them. <laughs> so uh lake here happens to fit into both of those categories but but essentially what happens is as we all know fuel and oil aren't, aren't they don't go well together and mm. so you know one's a lubricant one's a solvent that's right. So that ain't going to work really good if we put them both in the same spot. And so what happens, though, is that most people tend to understand that trying to develop horsepower out of an engine is trying to create more heat, extract more energy, you know, the BTUs, right? right? Yeah. Uh, and so some of the fuel that we put into the engine is there so that we can consume the air, create a combustible mixture, and extract that heat energy out of the fuel. But what happens is the way that we get rid of the heat typically in the engine would be, you know, you transfer it into the pistons, the cylinder heads, mm -hmm. the, you know, the water jackets, and then the water takes it to the radiator and then to the atmosphere. That's a slow process. Right. So often we need to, under high power, kind of heavy, heavy heat generating type mm -hmm. scenarios, we need to put extra fuel into the engine that's there not to make more heat. But since it doesn't get used for combustion, it takes that heat out of the exhaust pipe, right? Evaporative cooling, right. So that evaporative tool. So, so what happened is over the years, people got the idea that if some is good, then more is better. And so we should be rich all the time, especially when we're trying to break in the engine. But that's not really true if we don't have high cylinder pressures and high RPM. We're generating a lot of heat. In that case, all we're doing is putting extra solvent into the engine. And it's not being used to do anything useful for us. It costs us more money. Uh, we have a lot higher exhaust emissions, our economy's down, but worst case is it tends to delete all of the effort we put in to trying to keep oil on the cylinder wall, lubricate the rings, you know, fuel do all the things we want. Right. Yeah, fuel wash is terrible. It, it, it's so, it, we see it all the time. I mean, I know just a couple months ago, Keith got some rings from a guy that he literally had 45 minutes of dyno time on it. Wow. But, but the thing is they had it super rich yep. and they were idling the engine and they basically just destroyed the rings uh, and really wasn't the fact they destroyed the rings. What they really did was they washed all the oil That's right. off the cylinder wall. You know, the ring is actually a really amazingly tough part. In fact, 
not less than an hour ago, I was on the phone with a friend of mine that works in pro stock and we were talking about rings and mm-hmm. we have a block that's about to go in the home today. And we were sharing, Hey, I think we should try this. And we, well, we've seen that, you know, you do, you do that with your buddies and your partners in the industry. Mm-hmm. But we were having this conversation about how, you know, shoot, we run these tiny little thin piston rings that yep. total seal makes, you know, and you would think that they're delicate and boy, you can mess them up. But it's not uncommon now if we treat the ring right, mm-hmm. you can get 60 or 80 passes down the drag strip on these tiny little rings. And it's not uncommon for us to take one apart. We'll look at the rings under the microscope and a lot of these hard faced, you know, titanium nitrides yep. and, you know, uh, chromium based type really mm-hmm. hard finishes. We just reuse the rings. There's nothing wrong with them. The cylinder wall gets worn out, so we have to rehone it. But what happens is you see excessive wear to the face of the ring and the cylinder wall if you don't have lubrication. Yes. So as tough as these rings are, if we don't do a good job of keeping the engine, uh, you know, in, a, in an environment that is good for the rings, you know, keeping oil in the cylinder mm-hmm. wall, you can't expect any part to live like that. I think it was one time I, I blew up an engine on my dyno one time and uh, it had locked up a rod bearing, right? And it yeah. made a mess out of this thing. And I remember I was kind of like, man, I was, I was on suicide watch for a couple of days. And <laughs> my old friend, John Kazi calls me up and he says, hey, don't feel too bad. It happens once in a while to me too, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, but look. I don't care because I said, well, should I have done something different? Should I have done a steel rod, an aluminum rod, this, that? And he goes, look, Ben, if you lock that connecting rod up, I don't care what kind of rod you have on there. It's, it's gone. The side of the <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, exactly. so don't feel bad. you know. And and I thought, really, it's the same kind of thing with the rings. If you don't have the right treatment of cylinder wall finish and oil lubrication, man, it doesn't matter what face you put on the ring. You're going to tear it's gonna, it up. It's going to get you. Know, so the, the bottom line is when you treat them right and, and they're not in distress, just like my connecting rods and bearings, if you don't have them in distress, you don't have to worry about them. They'll live a long, a long time and have a good service life. Well, I know the, the same type of ring that you have, the, it's just a little bit thicker, uh, a 0.7 millimeter ring. Okay. That's the time nitrided ring we have in the engine at Shavers. That engine literally has thousands of dyno poles on it. One set of those AP rings had like 2,000 something wow. dyno poles on them. We pulled them out and they're look, I mean, the faces look brand new. Yeah, the well, ring's not worn at all, but then the cylinder board is worn. But sure. you know, we don't want to get too far ahead of the cylinder board because we had a good tune up on that, uh, on that situation. We've had that engine for so long. So what I want to do is talk about with one of the tricks is that if you know carburetors and you know all your stuff and you're really good at it, you can kind of pick those jets and do all that stuff kind of instinctually. Sure. But if you don't have that experience, how, how do you... Where do you go? How, yeah. Right. So, I mean, a lot of that's the kind of stuff that we like to teach here. The biggest thing that we want people to take away when they leave EF University is with, you know, they may not retain everything, they may not remember every single thing mm-hmm. they learned in the class, but they're going to have, a you know, reference manuals and materials. But more than anything, we want them to walk away with the with the idea that all of this is science and not magic. Right. So we tend to teach a lot of math formulas and a lot of data analysis. And so you got a carburetor, you put it on the engine, you make a run on the dyno. What I want you to do is collect the data. What were your air fuel ratios? Maybe you're looking at EGTs. Maybe you're looking at you know power and torque outputs or or your airflow meters or fuel flow meters. Whatever whatever tools you have, we want you to collect that data. Then sit down and unemotionally analyze the data because. So many times our beliefs dictate our vision, right? right. I, I've already yeah. got an idea of what happened. I'm not even, I don't even need to look at the dyno, dyno run. I already know what it needs. Well, that may or may not be true. And if you go with that, that attitude or that mentality, oftentimes you're making decisions based on emotion rather than facts. data and facts, you know? 
So um, I find that when guys operate that way, they tend to be very fact resistant. They don't even want to see your data or your facts or whatever, because I already know it needs a 92 jet, not a 91 jet or or whatever, you know. But if you're a young guy and you don't have that experience, where do you start? Well, where you start is, you know, you do your you do your run and you look at things like air fuel ratio and you look at your spark plugs and you put your exhaust pipes. And then we're teaching guys what to look for and how to make the changes. But more than anything, it's a methodical A to B to back to A approach where test it, make an unemotional decision about what you think you need to change and then make the change and test it again and record the results. Right. So. I think that's the part a lot of people miss is the recording of the results. You want to know what my cylinder finish is? I can walk back there and grab the file folder for that engine and tell you. You want to know what the air-fuel ratio was? I can pull it up on the dyno and have a a record of it. So I think as far as evaluating the tune-up side of the engine, data is king. Having the data is king. But all the data in the world won't help you if you're going to follow your own emotions and ignore the data. So, So that's my approach to how we teach people here with it. So one thing that we did at the Engine Performance Expo, which we had a little video, Joe, uh, you can queue up on the dyno, where we actually took one of the Holly systems. That's right. Yeah. That is a, it's not really self, it's uh, self-learning. It, is it, that can, the, it can be totally self-learning. Yeah. So that you don't have to be intimidated by the math. You don't right? have to be an expert anyway. A little right. bit of math don't hurt you. But so talk about talk about that. What 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 is it required to use that system? So if you don't have that, knowledge experience with the carburetor to do all the fine work but you still want that durability and performance of a carburetor well talk about the the holly system and what we saw with that and how to use it so you're talking about that holly terminator x 4500 so basically what holly did that i thought was pretty smart is they came out with an efi system that was a throttle body based Mm -hmm. and inside the throttle body first of all it looked almost identical to a carburetor oh yeah it totally does and what they did is they took the fuel bowls off and instead of having a metering block and air bleeds and main jets and power Mm -hmm. valves in there they used that room to put fuel injectors in there, right? And so now you have sensors and fuel injectors all in this tidy little package that you could unbolt your carburetor, stick in there, and start. But what they did was they had it constantly looking at things like the the difference between the goal or the target for air-fuel ratio Mm -hmm. and what the engine was actually producing as measured by their uh, little oxygen sensor that goes in the exhaust pipe that comes in the kit, right? right? So literally, there's this computer sitting there doing the exact same job except it's doing it with no emotion, mm-hmm. no preconceived notions, and it's doing it, you know, maybe, you know, 150, 200 times per second, sampling the the actual mixture in the exhaust and comparing it to what we wanted, right? Yep. And so it can then say, look, does this meet the goal? If not, no hard feelings, but I'm going to make a change, right? Sometimes people, when they're tuning, get so hung up on an idea, they get so invested in going a certain direction, they don't want to make a change. Right. So it takes longer. Well, this little computer sitting there going, hey, look, I don't care. Yeah. You said you wanted 12.5. It's not 12.5. I'm going to change the values that it has until right. I get there. So the nice thing for a beginner or a first-time user is Holly's pretty smart. They've been making carburetors for 100 years or something. They got a they, pretty, they, they have pretty good idea about metering fuel. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and they got a pretty good idea of what, what range of air-fuel ratios work and don't work. Right. So when you get it out of the box, it's already got some sort of preconceived notion of what you probably want within a range. Mm-hmm. And then you just have a little handheld thing to say, my engine's this many cubic inches, and I got this kind of distributor or CDI ignition box or whatever, boom. It only takes like four wires. It's power, ground, switch 12 volts, and a tachometer source. And you can make the engine run. It's amazing. Fires up immediately within less than one second starts looking at the oxygen sensor and making changes to the engine. And I don't even remember, what did we do, like 
two or three dyno poles and it was as good as our carburetor. I, right. It was, it was incredible. It, it, yeah. So the carburetor is the baseline. That's right. Yeah. And they put this thing on there. And Joe, show, show, show the video. Yeah, Joe. you have a video. Yeah, we have a video. All right, guys, we're here at the console. I got everything hooked up. And uh, basically, I have my software here. I can see on my laptop or on the big screen. And I can see all the live data as I'm doing a run. But all I really needed to do was, you know, load that calibration in there until I got this cam straight out, this engine size, whatever. Then I can come out here and get the engine started. So basically, I got the ignition on. I got fuel pressure. Let's see what happens. Here we go. So you see it fires up. And that idle circuit is already working with the bypass valve to try to target my speed. So now I just let the O2 sensor correct to my target, and we're good to go. We'll let it warm up, and we'll see if it runs good. Here we go. Born. You know, I can probably watch her a hundred times. You know, I'm way less nervous when I watch the video versus when I do it. You know. Especially when you know you're on a deadline, right? It's like, okay, yeah. my God, what, what are we going to do here? So, what do you think, Joe? What do you think about that? Well, I love the idea. I've only been in the dining room. Oh, one second. I've only been in the dining room a few times. And just the intensity, the energy, and the adrenaline. No wonder Lake wants to be in there all yeah. the time you could feel it when that thing really starts to sing it's like is this gonna hold together the answer is it, it better hey guys chuck lynch is out there great comment uh what gets measured gets done is thrown around in the sigma uh, six sigma world but the data means nothing without a scorecard and a goal says uh, our friend chuck. goal setting is important i always get nervous when chuck's watching because i feel like he's so much more experienced than me i'm going to say something dumb and i'm going to get a phone call later you know well we already know jordan's watching yeah, exactly. so I'm like, i've already started to edit my thoughts i'm like just shut up don't say nothing that's just not related to will because you don't know what you're talking about yeah i know yeah, it's crazy so but joe you know that with that video uh you probably can't tell much for the video but that thing started at about 8200 rpm mm -hmm. and went to about 10,400. so i could watch that all day long and there's nothing more fun than being in the dyno room with an engine like that that you didn't pay for. Uh, <laughs> that makes sense. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. But uh, but the, the fact that that thing learned so rapidly, and we are still, I, I've spoken with Robin from Holly a bunch of times, and that I think is their greatest challenge to explain to people, like, it is that simple. It can be that simple. And you're not going to be diving into a sea of paperwork and clipboards and everything. Like, they have got the baseline figured out pretty well. You know, not only that, Joe, but I think what's what doesn't show up really well in that video is I had the laptop there just because I wanted people to see what it looked like. But you don't even need a laptop. You can literally plug that thing on. It's got a little three and three and a half inch, you know, uh, I don't little know, handheld thing, right? Yeah, I don't know what to do with my hands. Uh, had a little handheld controller, and you literally with your finger can touch screen, type in this many cubic inches, and so on. You know, my street strip or race type camshaft. And that's all I did during that test, even though not all of it made the video. Yeah, I did not tune on that engine. We we started it up, we let it warm up. 
I opened the throttle, the first pull to whatever it was, 8,200 RPM and let it rip. And it went to 10.4, just like you could know the difference. Yeah, you know? exactly. And I think it learned through that. And by the second or third pull, it was matching or it was better than the carburetor, wasn't it? I think it actually beat the carburetor by two. By, by just a couple. Well, which is, again, that's, again, margin of error on something like that. It, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's there. So the, the, the thing is, it made the same power, essentially, as a carburetor. And with, it did it with, with basically. With no help from me. Yeah. Wow. So that, that was super cool. So, all right, we've got some questions out there. I want to say what's up to our audience right. that is live on Facebook and on YouTube. And remember, you can share the show both live and after the fact. This is coming from Ernesto, who was so nice. He's like, Can I ask a question? It's like, Yes, you may ask a question, Ernesto. And, uh, you know, everybody's in a different situation. So, Ernesto wants to know what about tips for someone who has no access to like a Spintron or the best equipment for honing ceiling rings or valve train? For, you know 8,000 rpm or higher but you know you you're you're in the field but you don't have the best of the best equipment what what would you guys say to that question I, I think i have a great answer for that and that is you know so much of our success in this industry is based on our relationships and our partnerships yes. right and yeah. so uh if i didn't have a spintron then what i would do is i would rely on information from the people that have you know access to that so i'd be calling up my sales guy over at say comp cams or or somewhere that mm -hmm. that does a lot of spintron work and say look, here's my package, here's the components I have, can you set me up with some known good parts right. that are gonna, you know, look, you know, we have a saying, pioneers get arrows, and then the settlers take the land. So, you know, we're over here being pioneers, and I know you only see the cool stuff on the videos, but believe me, we break stuff all the time. It's right over there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> if I could just, if, if I could just turn the camera around, you would see all kinds of busted stuff in the shop here. Uh, we're not perfect. We don't never, you know, it's not like we never make mistakes, but it's the mistakes that we learn from. So I would say if you don't have a Spintron, then I would go, all right, who, who can I call that has good data from a Spintron that would, that would sell me the right stuff or tell me where to buy the right stuff. And, you know, you got to understand, are you going to be some top fuel pro stock NASCAR level at that point? No, of course not. But that's because you don't have access to that information, but you're going to get to that, you know, that 80, 20 rule, right? Right. 80% of what those guys are doing is available to the public. And mm -hmm. so you can have access to that same way on the honing side, right? If you yep. got one of these things that you want to do this 8,000, 10,000 RPM lifestyle, and maybe you don't have the, right, the perfect equipment for that, go find a shop that, that does specialize in that say, Hey, can you hone this block for me? And then I'll take it back and do the assembly. Right. I'm not, I don't want to come off sounding like some, you know, machine shop elitist or anything like that. Look, if you don't have this kind of stuff, then, you know, you just can't, you just can't play in this game. That's not true. But what I would say is build relationships and partnerships with people that can help you get there. That's my answer for that. No, so I'm going to go back to the, uh, Larry Wallace. Like one of the things that he told me years ago that is only proven to be true is that, you know, you can go to Mount Everest. There aren't any dead bodies at the bottom of the hill. Yeah, they're all at the top. Yeah. You, you can ball home a Briggs and Stratton and it'll run. Sure. Okay. So really the question is what level of performance back to Chuck's comment. It's about the goal. Yep. If you just want to turn 7,000 RPM and do that, then there's no problem. There's yeah, there's not a lot of things you need to do, but it's that next level. The higher you go and that mountain, now your margin of error gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And the equipment you need is more specialized. We are talking about yesterday. You don't really need any special equipment to go hike up the top of Pikes Peak. Right. But that ain't going to work to go to Everest. That's right. Yeah. You know, the higher you get on the mountain, 
uh, the easier it is to fall off and the yes. farther you fall. But I will tell you, in, in my opinion, it's worth going because the view gets better at the top. You know? Oh, exactly. So, it's fun, right? Yeah. Everything worth doing is hard. And, and you know, everybody's mountain is a different height, right? Yeah. Like, so if you're building 5,500 RPM street engines, going to 7,500 RPM is a big deal. Right. The nice thing for you when you get to that 7,500 RPM level is you're not a pioneer. That's already been done, and there's already proven recipes that can help you get there. Mm -hmm. It's only a problem when you go, well, now I want to go to 9,500, and there just aren't that many people with snowshoes that have been up there. You know right. what I mean? So what helps when you want to start out going down that path, much the same way I did, is I seek you know, seek out the people in each little aspect of the of the industry yeah. that had what I needed and said, hey, let me, let me buy you lunch. Let me talk to you and, and learn what I can from you. Guys, we got people checking in from all around the world. Craig is out there in the UK uh, saying what's cool. up. Frank watching, saying interesting up, and uh, educational. And we got a big thumbs up from young Jack Line, who is cutting oh, his right out there on the Pro Stock Tour. What's up, Jack? How you doing now? Uh, right. as, a, as a follow-up to the question a moment ago, though, Ben, you guys have put together at EFI University a bit of a fraternity, if you will, that enables sure. people like, okay, let's assume that the, the people don't have relationships. They can be just as interested and want to learn, but maybe they, they're they not social media, uh, they're not into social media, say. Maybe they are not, uh, maybe they're introverted and feel comfortable, like Lake, who obviously feels very comfortable just talking to anybody about this for a long, long time. Very um, you guys have created something where they can actually be, uh, you know, involved the membership and surround themselves with knowledgeable, like-minded people that I think is going to be very helpful for people out there. So, yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Joe. I mean, basically the idea of the fraternity started because, well, it is EFI University, right? right? So and so a group, we wanted a group of people with a common interest working towards a common goal. And that means it doesn't matter what your stature is, whether you're a brand new guy trying to figure out where to even begin mm -hmm or you're a highly experienced guy, like some of the people we have in our group who are looking to hone the last little bit out of their razor, what really helps is that community kind of think tank and group sourcing of information. Mm -hmm. And so one of the biggest problems that I wanted to solve with EFI University was access. And what we learned over the, the terrible year of 2020 was that People still want to learn. People still want to build relationships. People still want to talk to, you know, it used to be you could go to a trade show and you could face-to-face right. -face talk to somebody like, you know, superstar Lake, Lake Speed Jr. over here. And that went away and people still needed a way to access that, that resource. Right. And so um, what I did was I talked to guys like Lake and George Bryce and Billy Godbold and we came up with this idea that we need to start a brotherhood. We need to start right. a fraternity where we're able to uh, not only just publish and share this information, mm -hmm. but you know, think dialogue. through it together, have a dialogue. And so, you know, last night we, we call it the brotherhood of BTUs because we're always in search of how we can extract more performance out of the engine. Yep. The fraternity is called the Delta Lambdas, mm -hmm. and it's open to it's available to basically anybody that wants to uh, get involved. It's a monthly subscription based, pretty low cost, where you join and you immediately get access to resources of like video-based lessons mm -hmm. on all kinds of different topics. We have a private discussion group on Facebook where 24-7 you can access people that are in the know. Right. Um, and then every week we get together and we do a live Zoom, Zoom, meeting. Zoom yeah. meeting. Man, we did one last night. I think we had 24 people that were all over the world yeah. at all different skill levels from guys that work in Cup and NASCAR to, you know, George Bryce from Star Racing who yeah. – I think he has more wallies than than NHRA has. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> he, that guy has a room full of them, 
and is just humble and willing to share information. And what was great about the conversation last night was here we have this giant group of people, Nick Agostino yeah. in Canada, you know, and we're everybody's saying, well, this is what I've experienced. or this is what I've seen. And it, and it wasn't an argument. It wasn't a, no, it wasn't like some egotistical. It wasn't pounding your chest. I'm, right. I'm better than you. I think what the common thread I kept hearing over and over was, is, well, what I think is, or what my experience has been is this, what do you think? And we bounced ideas around. We talked about stuff. And I just, oh, the plenum volume discussion was, was fascinating. Yeah. I woke up thinking about it this morning. I, I literally, I went home last night. I was laying in bed thinking, I know what that experience was like for me, and I do this every day for a living. I wonder what it must have been like for some of the guys that were there who just started out in the industry going, oh, my gosh, I just got to, like, get in on a conversation that previously you would never, ever be able to access that level of, of you know, relationship and, and, and access. Well, we said it last night after, afterwards. It reminded me of AETC. Yeah. It, it, AETC, if you don't know what that was, that was the Advanced Engineering Technology Conference. It used to be before PRI, but it went away. Uh, unfortunately, we should actually we need to say it right. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Harold Bettis, who was the sure. MC yeah. of yeah. it for years, just passed away suddenly, uh, tragically this past week. So uh, our condolences to Harold's family because he was a mentor. I mean, he was the guy that made it happen and, and encouraged people to share. Harold was one of those guys that I don't think there's anybody that's seriously a part of the motorsports and racing engine development industry that mm -hmm. wasn't in some way touched by Harold and the work that he did, mentored by him, maybe sometimes chastised by him. Oh, yeah. Uh, but man, we lost a huge resource there. And that's what I don't want to have happen as things like ATC go away. I mean, ATC has been around forever, right? Like I remember right. being in high school and reading about these legendary superstars of the industry that mm -hmm. would get together for this once a year, you know, face-to-face -face conversation. Mm -hmm. It was a, it was a, you know, com conference yes. seminar. And I just used to lay in bed thinking, man, what I wouldn't give to be a fly on the wall in one of those conferences, you know? And then here we are 15, 20 years later, and I've been a speaker at several of them. And, and I've met guys like you and Keith and Billy and Kazi and, and, you know, Caterjohn and all these guys that I just used to read about in magazines oh, yeah. that think were legends. Now we're all like in this community of friends. Well, what we wanted to do with the Delta Lambda fraternity was build that in a virtual access point for anybody, anybody, in the, anywhere in the world. And so far it's been successful. We've been doing it. Uh, thanks, George, saying it was, it was super fun. You're right. It was partially because you were there. Right. Uh, but I mean, we've only been doing it, what, three or four weeks now. And I think we're already up to over like 60 members. Right. And uh, it is an absolutely incredible uh, thing that that's going on that anybody can be a part of. So we would invite you to join the brotherhood. Oh, please, please do. It, 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 if you're interested in this stuff at all, mate, if you've hung in this long, you should totally be joining because this is great. Because that, you know, that lunch roundtable discussions. Priceless. Oh, it was. Priceless. Bob Day is out there. He says, Bob says, if we did not uh, lean on each other, our advances would never get where they are. The smaller people live for that help. And uh, I think yeah. that is a great, great point as well. Yeah. So the, the Delta Lambda fraternity is a great way at an extremely low cost. I don't know. If, I don't know of any lesser expensive way to get access to that level of community uh, information technical knowledge and, and just regular sort of um, relationship building, networking opportunity. Well, think about it. That was the downside of AETC, actually. We, we want to say what weakness was. It was only once a year. Right. And it only happened in that instant. If you weren't in the room, it didn't happen. Yeah, you're right. 
Right. This is something different because now it's happening every single week, but all the Zooms are recorded. All that information's there. It's not effervescent anymore. It's real. Not only that, but I wouldn't even say it's every week. It's every day because of oh, the live true. discussions on Facebook. That's true. Um, we were playing around yesterday with building a live access mm -hmm. video wise. So, yep. you know, when I'm in here running the Spintron or the Flowbench here or the Engine Dyn or whatever, now the members of our group can see it live via Facebook and actually participate. So, They'll be the first ones to know when I uh, when I go down, you know. So <laughs> Hopefully, Jack <Marker. laughs> George. Yeah, so it's it's really an ongoing twenty four seven growth that's happening in the in the fraternity because um, not not only do we have people at all different skill levels, mm -hmm. but people at all different locations. There's guys in Australia, oh, guys exactly. in Canada. And yeah, Mark was on last night from Australia. Right. You know, so being able to connect. And, and have real relationship building. Mm -hmm. Somebody asked, what's the cost? It's $99 a month for a membership. I mean, honestly, yeah. I know people that spend more than that at Starbucks. And uh, you know, we're just hoping that we can get enough volume of people that eventually those membership fees, they'll pay for the research and development that we're doing. They'll buy parts, they'll pay for equipment and machinery. And it's kind so, of like a subscription in the old days, right? You sure. would just subscribe to CarCraft or, or yep. Hot Rod to be able to get that super in-depth technical articles that guys like Jeff Smith would write sure. that were just super in there. Now this is the modern way of doing it. It's just a subscription to be able to access all the tools that are here because yeah, we, we want to come out here and play and do fun stuff. So like I'm looking at a comment here from Steven, uh, looks like Gots. Would, yep. would a guy just building his own engines for fun and you know hot rods and run what you've run drag racing benefit? So uh, it's I'm the sales guy because I, I own the EFI University and all that. So I'm going to see what your thought is on that. Oh, 100%. I mean, that we've already seen in the last couple of weeks, just the dialogue that members help members. Yeah. And that this isn't just the run of the internet community where you really don't have any idea who's behind the keyboard. So, you, you know, I, I'm thinking specifically about, there was a, there was a guy who said, Hey, I'm a new member, blah, blah. And I just built this engine. I ran it on the dyno. And frankly, I wasn't that happy. I thought maybe it would be better. And he sort of listed all of his components. So what do you guys think? And immediately, it wasn't like a bunch of people jumped on and said, oh, you suck, man. You should have known better than that. It was more like, hey, based on the parts that you have, here's what we kind of see. And honestly, I don't know that you should be that disappointed with what right. you got. But here are the changes that we think you could probably make and improve that. It was almost like you instantly tapped into this community of people that could save you time and money by saying, hey, look, we've already made that mistake. You don't have to go down that road. So... You know, unless you're ever only going to build one engine and never think about engines again, if you're the kind of person right. that is always wondering and always asking questions and always trying to learn stuff, I don't think it matters what level you're at as far as sophistication, you're going to benefit. Well, let's just call it what it is. The internet as a whole tends to be pretty negative. Sure. There's <laughs> a lot of negativity, maybe, slightly. Um, in this group, in the fraternity, because that's what it is, it's a brotherhood, it's supportive. It's, it's, there's not a negative vibe. You're not gonna get beaten on in here because you don't know. Not only the reality is none of us know everything. No. The moment you think you know everything, you've already shut yourself down to learn. Yeah. So that's what's cool about this. We're here to learn and we all learn from each other. And so that's what's cool about that, it. That was so. one of the things that I said when we first started it was, I'm only going to let people in that I think I can learn from, which is basically anybody. I, I really <laughs> think I can learn from any guy out there, but it wouldn't be any fun if it was just me saying what I think all the time. I wanted to build a community 
where we had real communication, real conversation, and real connection right. with these people. And so far, I think it's been awesome. We've really achieved that um, in, in, in just the short like month or so we've been doing. Right. Well, you know, he's heard me say this a ton of times. You know, my mission in life now is that I, I've seen what's progressed over time with the NASCAR deal. And I know that NASCAR level technology is actually available off the shelf now. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's like saying we, that, that, that's the iPhone. But what happens in the industry, and we see this every day, is that people are still buying the Nokia brick phone. Yeah. It's not even a flip phone. Right. And, you know, with, with the ring analogy is people are buying a 564th, 564th, 316th ring package. And people should not be scared of even a one millimeter package. Right. But that sounds super thin, but there's some 0.5 millimeter rings right over here yeah. that you run and run consistently and can run pass after pass. So that's what we're trying to say is that there is this knowledge gap and the whole idea of the podcast what we're doing here is try to let people know that there is something better. The whole idea of Delta Lambda is to give you a step from the podcast, one step closer to that actualization so that you don't have to say, well, wow, that's really cool that there's iPhones over there that people have. I guess I'll never have one. You know, the other thing that I think really the point that we want to make here is that every other media that you would use to get access to this type of information is always past tense. Magazines, blogs on websites, podcasting, you know, mm-hmm. all the stuff that all of us do is always telling a story of what we did, right? The difference between that and what's happening in the Delta Lambda Brotherhood of BTUs is it's it's live. It's happening every day. And it's real time. So what we thought last week might change because of what we learned this week. So um, it gives people that access. And somebody I saw, Joe, asked, hey, is this limited to one platform? You know, I think that's the greatest part about it. Mm -hmm. The diversity of people that we have in the community right now. We've got NASCAR guys. We have, you know, professional level drag race guys. We have motorcycle guys. We got, you know, Nick Agostino is a turbo, small block, methanol guys gasoline guys we got snowmobile guys dirt bike guys you name it the only real platform i would say is internal combustion engines is what we've been discussing primarily efi tuning you know i wouldn't care if you guys want to talk about carburetors um valve train stuff lower end stuff there's really nothing off limits other than what we want to do is share the people that are in a position of knowledge and have accomplished Mm -hmm. are looking to to trickle down and share with the ones that are coming up. And we talked about something last night that I said to our group live, when we got done with this whole discussion, and believe me, not everybody necessarily agreed about what the answer was, but we all agreed that there was more research to be done. And I said, what we learn needs to exceed what we've been taught. Right. So we're not here to just regurgitate the answers and tell you what everybody else has said forever. This is about really studying and researching and learning about the platform of the internal combustion engine and finding out and searching out how to find more, where to get the truth. So there's not a ton of ego. It's not platform specific. It's not like if you're a, you got to be an LS guy yeah, 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 or yeah. a Ford guy. It's not about that. It's yeah. about uh, relationships, connection, and and you know research. All right, guys, listen. It's been amazing. We've got people out there watching. Just uh, obviously, we're hitting them with subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. If you're listening to the podcast, obviously, you're going to want to go back and watch this on YouTube. We've got a nice little cross promotional deal. But uh, Ring Seal, Lake. 
talking about profilometers. That's uh, doesn't matter how much fuel we get in there if we can't seal it up, right? And you guys have got a couple of graphics for us to see that's going to help illustrate what we're talking about inside the cylinder. Well, yeah, going back to what we talked about earlier with the, with the EFID on the tune-up and, and everything, really that surface finish is the key thing. And one of the th questions that actually came up not long ago in, in the group, and we see it all the time, a question we get every day, is well, how do I achieve those surface finish numbers? We, we hear about RPK, RBK. Joe, I want you to pull up that graphic that we, we perfect, there you go. So what you're looking at here is a graphic that kind of shows surface roughness. Now, Mark Marburg uh, is the guy that can talk about this better than any of us can. Sure. Uh, but if you look at that, that blue uh, bar across the top there, that's RPK. So that's basically your peak height. Then the RK, that's your core roughness. And then the RVK, that's your valley depth. Now, me being a ring guy and an oil guy, uh, RVK is my favorite topic. Uh, because that's what holds the oil. You know, proper lubrication can be defined as the four R's. Right oil, right place, right time, right amount. Pretty quickly you can find out, guess what? In lubrication, oil is only one of it. So it's only 25% of the equation, essentially. So more times than not, we need to answer those other three questions before we call the oil into question. Right. And so if we, and when cylinder sealing, you know, oil is the gasket. It's also lubricating the ring, super important, but oil is the gasket. So we got to have enough oil between the cylinder wall and the ring to be that gasket. The fuel's trying to wash it away. Pretty cool gas ported two-cycle two ring there. Love that. Uh, so anyway, that, that oil is the gasket. Well, how does that oil stay there? Well, it's the valley. It's that surface finish that provides the, the amount of retention for that. Now, obviously, a big peak is going to wear the ring. So, you, ideally, what you want in surface finish is very low peaks, very low core roughness, nice valleys. So, going back to where you were talking about, you know, you got the four R's the right oil, right place, right time, right amount, right amount. You know, so, well, the right oil, you used to be an oil guy and you sold yeah. a lot of the right kind of oil to people. But, like you said, that's only 25% of the equation. So, what we need is the oil to be in the right place. We need to get oil between the ring and the cylinder wall, but not in the wrong place up in my combustion chamber. Yeah, because right? oil is low octane, bad yeah. detonation it's problems. It's not, not good. Not good for that. So, yeah. so we got to get that oil and make sure that we have uh, the right amount. Mm -hmm. So we got to have enough oil on the cylinder wall to seal that. You know, be the gasket and seal between the cylinder wall and the ring, so we don't lose our combustion pressure. And we got the right amount. You don't have enough. You burn up the walls. You burn up the rings. You have too much. You can't get it off. It ends up in the combustion chamber, right? right. So uh, th those are critical functions that are set by the way that you hone the block. Whether right. you're honing it old school with, you know, an old machine stones or you're a high-tech new guy with a CNC machine and diamonds and CBNs, the reality is it's the end result that matters. Right. You know, there's so, more than one way to get to there. That's right. You know, so... Uh, you know, the newer high-tech CNC machines surely make it a lot faster and easier to get what you want, but it's not necessarily that you can't get there with, with an older machine. You like the, the guy that's asking, what do we do if we don't have all the fancy stuff? Well, right. well you, you can get that. there. So actually, in fact, you go, if you want to, start off with the, uh, the profilometer graphs from the roughing operation. Uh, just show the, the one with the numbers. You don't need to even show the one 
with the actual uh, profile trace. There we go. So I want to interrupt. So this is the guy uh, we, we know, Steph, actually, he actually sent me the picture, so I should, sorry, uh, give the credit. So Steph at Ace Racing Engines, he's got an older style sun and machine, and he was trying to hit these numbers and was struggling, and we ended up having to change the abrasives around a little bit. So what he ended up doing was using 180 to rough to you know, basically get close to size. So that's what gives him that 77 of the RVK. Okay. Because if you don't have enough rough abrasive to give you valley when you start, when you go to a finer abrasive, you can't add valley. Right. You can fill it in. You're going to dump a bunch of stuff in the valley. Right. right. You can take the dots off the mountains. Your valleys are only going to get uh, narrower. Mm -hmm. Right. So so that gave him the deeper valley. So now go to the uh, graph that shows the size, Joe. So he went from 180 roughing, 280 grit to size. Now you can see that that 280 grit's a little bit, you know, smoother. So that top numbers are coming down on your RK and your RPK. So the tops are getting smoother. Lost a lot, some of that 77 down to 62 on the valley. Now he used, I think it was 400 to go to, to, to finish. So go to the next one there, Joe. 600, yes, he used 600 uh, to finish up. And now look, he's still able to hold. I love that finish, that looks great. So 51 on your RVK, so you got plenty of valley there to hold oil. Now go back to the numbers, yeah. 10 on your RPK, 33 in your RK. That's a, a really great nice finish. looking finish. Yeah. And that was done with a old manual machine, you know, not a CNC machine, using vitrified abrasives. So just means you have to work on it and watch it and measure it and right. change and, and you know, uh, you have to be involved more, basically. Right. And it, it did require a profilometer, right? He, he was using to to that tool to measure. You yeah. can't change what you can't measure. Scooter Brothers, I, that's from, right. from Billy Godbold, right? Yeah, that's Billy right. told me that over and over again. The Scooter always told him, you can't change, you can't measure. So Billy told me that enough, it's drilled in my head. Finally sinking in. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, you know, and it's one of those things that a guy needs to realize, too, that it's not a one, okay, now we found the setting that will always give me that finish. Because the problem is, you get the next block, well, maybe that block's harder, maybe right. that block's softer, you know. So now you got to, it's just a process they have to do over again. Mm -hmm. Okay, see what combination of stones and loads and feeds and speeds are going to work for this block. That's not any different if you have some $150,000 CNC home machine. That right. doesn't change. You still have to go through all that effort. But if a guy's willing to do the effort and use whatever tool he's got, as long as he's got a way to measure it like a profilometer, yep. you can get there. Right. And the, and the real key is, okay, why are we talking about all this? If you have the right surface finish, and so you can achieve that proper lubrication, getting the right oil, right place, right time, right amount, that's durability. Yeah. So it's, right. it's not, okay, oh, I, my stuff breaks in. But great, it should break in. I mean, I've seen finishes that are opposite, where you've got <laughs> less RBK than you got RK. It's going to break in, but it's not going to last. You don't have that long-term reliability. You want that long-term reliability, and that's what we're talking about, is trying to deliver that. And these are just some ways, right? That's why we call it hidden horsepower, is because we want to help people do the things that's not obvious, that you just can't see. You can't measure surface finish with your fingernail right that's right you can't go oh that feels about right well yeah. you might have been able to get away to that get away with that at some point in the far mm -hmm. distant past but not when you're using today's modern rings and reading profiles and coatings and you you got to get right well thinking back back in the day you know 300 400 cubic inch engine made what 
350, 400 some horsepower on the top end. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I only make two or three times that. Yeah. Right. So it's that. That's the difference. Is that as you climb that mountain? Yep. Yes, the view gets better, margin of error gets smaller, and we're here to try to help you guide along the way. It's fun. We we, we like I doing mean, it. Honestly, I wouldn't want to have a real job. Oh God, no. Wait, hey, don't don't go there. This is a real job. There's a lot of stress, obviously. You guys right. are working with That's expensive. Right. Ask my wife about that question, Joe. What's what she gonna say? I need a raise. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, this has been fantastic. Gonna start winding it up. So let's talk about some final thoughts as we uh hidden horsepower live. This has been tremendous, and the audience has been growing throughout, which is exciting. Got two more videos about the hone process. If you guys want to throw to them, by all means, sure. just kind of an example of the hone. Um, both the uh, head side and the computer side for the folks out there. While I show those, why don't you guys think about final thoughts as we, uh, the audience sure. continuing to grow, uh, starting off with the home itself. <laughs> what are we seeing there, guys? Uh, so what you're looking at there, that was one of the Rattler CNC homes uh, in, in doing its thing. And Totally automated, no user with the hands on it. You're still yeah, back on this. this. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's that's kind of the latest and greatest, like yeah. the high tech end of things in in terms of honing. So uh, you just stand back and watch that thing go. Well, it's cool. It's you know, my dad, a vintage go karting guy, and one of the things I've told my dad for years is that with a little recycle stuff, you know, I need him to go ahead and just own a cylinder and just we're gonna clean it up, we're gonna put it in a bag and put it on the shelf. And he's like. Why? I said, what's your feeds and your speeds when you're doing this on the rod machine, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, you're never going to replicate that, right? Because right. it's so manual, and that's the thing is that the guys who have that skill, right? And I'm, I've always admired the true craftsmen that know their machines, can hear and feel their machines. That's great, but if I don't have 40 years of experience doing that, yeah. I don't want to spend 40 years to get to there. What I want my dad to do is, here, give me what that thing looks like when it's done right. Then I'm going to use my friends in the industry. We're going to measure it. <laughs> measure it, and then we'll replicate it using modern technology. Yep. So I don't spend 40 years trying to learn the feeds and speeds of a rod home. Yeah, because the problem is that's not even possible anymore. As some of these guys that are older are, you know, unfortunately dying off or mm -hmm. retiring or going away, and we're not actually transferring that knowledge to the younger generation once that chain gets broken there's not really a good way without resetting the entire cycle and starting back from the beginning so what the cnc does is allows you to really shorten that curve you know right. again if we if we can't measure it then we're not able to affect the change on it so right. the ability to measure stuff is probably one of the biggest takeaways from this whole deal cool uh, go ahead, Joe, show the next video because it's the same Rottler machine running, but as opposed to seeing the actual hone head working, you're going to see the visual print readout of what the hone head is actually. So what you're watching there is a visual representation of what stones are doing in the cylinder. Mm -hmm. So it's constantly going up and down and turning in there and it's measuring how much force the stone has against the cylinder wall. So if the cylinder wall is tight or mm -hmm. if it's a smaller diameter in some area, then the force on the stone is going to go up. And it can and feel that. That's right. And if the, if the cylinder wall is larger or looser, uh, the load will go down and feel that. And so the machine uh, at a very high rate, a uh, very high speed can change the load 
so that the parts that are too small get made bigger and the parts that are too big don't get made any larger. Right. And you end up with an extremely straight and round cylinder that way. By the way, I wanted to answer a question I saw real quick from sure. Stephen Gotts on there. He wanted yep. to know what time the Zoom meetings happen. I assume he's talking about for the Delta Lambda thing. Yeah, he says, so. I'm yeah. in the UK. So you got a, you know, you got a seven hour uh, differential between us here in Arizona and the UK. We typically have traditionally the last few weeks been starting around 5 p.m. Arizona time, which puts you about midnight, midnight your time, bedtime yeah. for you. But I will tell you that the important thing is we record all of the Zoom uh, sessions and then we archive them. So anybody that joins tomorrow, let's say, can go back and see all of the old lessons that are video based, all of the old Zoom sessions and all of the old conversations on the Facebook page. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent, gentlemen. A uh, couple final questions for people out there. I want to make sure we get to everybody that was out there live. Uh, this gentleman just talking about it's like exploiting available technology without bias. So the real world results achieved is the testament. And then Craig sure. says he's got a project going. I'm hopeful to restore my first V8 flathead Ford this year. It won't be a hot rod motor. It'll be for a World War II universal carrier. Um it sounds like a tricky engine to learn. So he's a little cautious. What about some of that stuff, guys, like old school vintage stuff? Um, does new technology apply to that, or do you have to do it in an older older way? Well, what's cool is that, yeah, it's old, but people are doing this stuff all the time. Yeah. Yeah. In, the, in the last year, that's been the big story. The good news is the older the technology that you're working on right now, the less of a pioneer you have to be. Right. So that means the information's out there, the 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 right kind of things to do, the process, procedure, parts, all that, they're already out there. What you need is access to the resources, to the people that know that stuff, right. so that you don't have to start from scratch and be a pioneer. That's part of what we're offering with, yeah. with the fraternity. That is exactly. that now, gentlemen, I will tell you, in, in all honesty, the internet quality has gone down in the last five minutes or so. You've become a little pixelated, so I just want you to know about that, but we can hear you just fine. So why don't you each give a final thought, and we'll uh, send the audience on out into the world with a little more knowledge on this Hidden Horsepower Live. Ben? Well, guys, thanks for having me on your podcast. My name is Ben Strader from EFI University. We have all kinds of training programs that are live and hands-on that you can travel to our facility and come touch this stuff. If you can't travel, then you can catch up with us online and see videos and online trainings that we do. And you can communicate with us on a daily basis if you join our Delta Lambda fraternity. We call it the Brotherhood of BTUs, and we would love to have you guys. There's links in the uh, in the section in the bottom of the video there for you to see it. Awesome. But I'm just grateful to be here and be a part of your, uh, your your podcast. So thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for letting us come in and just you know steal the day from your shop when you normally be doing important things. <laughs> uh, and really, we thank all the viewers for for tuning in and sure. give us some feedback. You know, obviously this is we, the podcast normally is audio, but we really thought this would be a great opportunity to try something different and and, and do it live and stream it and show some things and. We're not going to be able to do that every week or every month, but at least if we if this is something people like, let us know, and maybe we'll try to do it more often. Yeah, maybe you like certain parts, you didn't like other parts, so right. tell get us rid of me. You probably don't want to keep it, right? Exactly. Are you talking? Joe, about you're, you're you're the one that makes this whole. You're the glue exactly, that keeps yeah. this thing stuck together. So. Great. Well, I, I listen, I always learn a lot, and this is what you said a, a few minutes ago about if you think you know everything already, then you're closed off. 
That is exactly my attitude. Got to be as open-minded as is possible. And even in my middle age, I'm learning so much about engine building because of Lake and Hidden Horsepower and Keith Jones. And uh, I've had the opportunity to speak with you a few times, Ben. And uh, the feedback sure. has been great. So for our audience out there, we just want to tell them to you know like, subscribe, follow all of the different things here on uh, Facebook and out there on YouTube. There will be more to come. And the Hidden Horsepower podcast. Hey, Lake, why don't you tease uh, what's coming coming next? You know, we just had Brad a Big episode, very, oh, very yeah. positive. And uh, we got some stuff coming. This one will be on there, of course. We got some stuff coming for the Indy 500 and beyond. Exactly. Ooh, cool. John Galley is telling a little bit of story about the history of the Fiero pace car. That's pretty It's cool. coming out. It's got insider knowledge, a great story. And then also we've got Larry Wallace coming up pretty soon. And there's some other pretty great guests we've got lined up. I know Joe and Keith have got their work cut out for them. Uh, with some different guests that are coming up. And, yeah, we're just going to keep chopping away. I mean, the feedback we've got on the on the podcast has been great, so we're going to keep it coming. I think that's cool. Gentlemen, thank you so much for spending some time. This was great. I absolutely love it. I thank you, and uh, hopefully more to come. So what happens now? You go back to blowing up stuff? I mean, uh, research and development? <laughs> yeah, we got, a, we got a block that we're about to try to fit in the Rottler CNC hone over here, and so – once we turn off yep. the cameras, we'll we'll get to work and see if we can poke some holes in it. And that's when Lake gets uh, super excited. Gentlemen, thank you so much. I appreciate you and uh, what we have done here today on Hidden Horsepower Live. Ben, Lake, great job, and uh, more to come in the future, hopefully. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. There they go. Ben Strader, EFI University, and Lake Speed Jr. Guys, excellent work. And that will do it for this edition of Hidden Horsepower Live. Remember, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud. You can go to the Total Seal website, totalseal.com, to find out more information. The podcast is there, and you can subscribe right away. So that is going to do it. We'll see you next time right here on this edition of Hidden Horsepower Live on Facebook, YouTube, and of course, Apple Podcasts.